Support for this Guardian podcast comes from Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes creating a professional website for your business, personal brand or portfolio so easy it's newsworthy. Go to squarespace.com and use the offer Guardian to get 10% off. The Guardian. Hello, this is Music Weekly. I'm Alexis Petridis. And I'm Kieran Yates. This week, Luke Turner brings us a joyful noise as he rounds up the month in ear-bleeding music. Plus tracks from Licky Lee, Babe and Benjamin Booker in Singles Club. That's all here on Music Weekly from The Guardian. Michael Han is with us this week. Hello, Michael. Hello, Alexis. Hello, Kieran. Hello. How are you doing? I'm not bad. Back for two weeks in a row. Back for two. I know. Well, you know, just couldn't get enough of you. Anyone would think that I'm the music editor of the Guardian or something. <laughs> just I'm at hand at all times. Well, how did it go last week without me? It was a disaster without I, I, you, Alexis. I, I gather it was. That's what you wanted Rather. to hear. That's what I heard. <laughs> That's what everyone's saying. Hush. While I was out in uh, in a tent. Glamping. I we did talk. We mainly talked about you glamping. Yeah, did. I got bitten by a chicken. Did or you pet. stay the whole time this time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I stayed for four days. You were literally henpecked. I was literally henpecked <laughs> or bitten or something like that. Whatever. Anyway, uh, chicken didn't like me. Um, <laughs> Is it? I'm sure. I've got, isn't that some novelty single from the early nineties? Chicken didn't. Like chicken me. didn't like me by the farmyard boys. <laughs> um, um, what's been happening in the world of music? Uh, there's a, there's, it's all kicked off. Um, here's one that's difficult to take sides in between Dead Mouse and the Arcade Fire. <laughs> yeah. who's, who's the more likable character there, Win Butler or, or Dead Mouse? Yeah, because Dead Mouse doesn't think that Arcade Fire should have any right to criticise people for not playing their instruments. It is an amazing. Fair enough, Dead Mouse. It, it, it is. It is an amazing argument to be having. It is amazing that somebody stood on the stage like a member of status quo at the height of the new romantic movement and went, oh, they're all Ponzi hairdressers playing synthesizers. Um, I mean, this is a remarkable argument to be having, I think, in, in this day and age about real instruments. and, and Yeah, that. I mean, it seems slightly staggering. Wynn Butler, um, well, the more he reveals of himself, the more you think, this man is an awful knob. Should change his name from Wynn Butler to Own Goal Butler. Ha ha tish You'll miss this one this podcast. I mean, did, did, you, did either of you see the Rolling Stone interview with no, him at no, the start No, no, I've heard about it. An absolute car crash. I mean, it's one of those interviews that clearly the writer's been given a load of access. And the writer isn't trying to stitch Wynn Butler up, I don't <laughs> think. It's just Wynn Butler can't avoid stitching himself up. You know, the... Um, the writer goes to a basketball game that Win Butler, pick up basketball game that Win plays in, see the real Win, and on the basketball court, he's just an unutterable tosser as well, you know, <laughs> constantly shouting out his teammates, getting in horrific strops when anything goes wrong. Brilliant. And then all the other people around the Arcade Fire camp appear to be saying, yeah, Win, <laughs> he's like that, he's like oh, that all no. the time. But then again, I mean, let, let, let's not uh, take sides here, because Dead Mouse. Absolute thundering cock and balls of a man as well, isn't he? I mean, he's yeah. just awful. I well, mean, it's not. It's, regardless of you know, I've done a lot of uh, a lot of work in the EDM field recently. I interviewed a lot of a lot of big EDM names like mm. Tiesto and uh, Steve Aoki and all this yeah. kind of thing. And um, really nice, you know, really a lot of very intelligent, thoughtful kind of people. You know, regardless of whether you like EDM or not, they're kind of good spokesmen for what they do. Dead Mouse appears to be the, be the sort of biggest spokesman for it. He's the worst person to have as a figurehead of a also, movie. Also, he's, he's a really awful. strange person to be part of that cultural 
sort of trend, which is this really this real hipster obsession with authenticity, you know. Mm. And I think that that's essentially what this argument is about. And Dead Mouse is definitely even more than maybe someone like Skrillex, who, you know, perhaps might be viewed as a more authentic uh, EDM spokesperson. I mean, I love the notion we even have notions of authenticity <laughs> within, within EDM. EDM. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, but yeah, Dead Mouse is so obsessed with that, you know, about realness and you know about him being. It's an odd guy, that odd self-loathing, odd kind of self-loathing. Appears to hate dance music, yeah. um, you know, and whatever. Anyway, so that's one. So, what thing. you think at the heart of it is Dead Mouse wants people who play real instruments to think that what he does is is great as well. I think is he, he wants, craving their recognition. I think I think he is. Yeah, because I think it's reached a point in America where EDM is kind of tipping into. You can't sort of ignore it in the rock market. Mm. And I think you know, he isn't there. Wasn't there? There was a track on his awful last album that had some I don't know someone from You Me at Six or something like that on singing you know what I mean yeah. it had the, 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 the. so I expect he wants to be taken I don't know I don't know I don't know it doesn't need dance music doesn't need the validation of like an indie band do you know what I mean it just, no, it well, just well, doesn't well, that's, a, that's the thing I mean uh, I mean, this is a problem with the, the internet news age that I, I hold my hands up the garden is guilty of everyone else Something happens. It's a news story. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's not a news story. If Win Butler says, probably what he means fundamentally is actually I like bands. Mm. He probably yeah. he probably doesn't mean it as a scathing condemnation of anyone who uses electronic. I think equipment. he does. Okay. I think he does. I think he's. I think he does. I mm. think he's. He's really angry about it. Oh dear! I, there was a great <laughs> thing a few years ago. Uh, I went to an event at which uh, Norman Cook, Fatboy Slim, was DJing, and he was playing a uh, bootleg version of "No Cars Go" mm. by the Arcade Fire. It's brilliant. It was like, like pump, it was a banging house remix. Oh, there's always been a dance element to their music. <laughs> and and uh, I, I, I spoke to him afterwards, and I was like, oh, "He played that Arcade Fire thing." And he goes, "Yeah, I did that myself." He goes, uh, "So it's the, Zoe likes the original." He goes, uh, "So I took all the boring bits out of it. <laughs> all he'd left was the chorus." <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic. Uh, what else has been going on in the world of rock? Weller. Weller. Weller's really angry. He's Weller. really, really angry because he thinks that people who use electronic instruments are inauthentic. <laughs> no, not really. Um, because on Record Store Day, this came as a great shock to Paul Weller. That what happens when someone is really quite famous uh, with a dedicated fan base who really want to have everything that he owns? When someone like that puts out a record in really limited editions... 500 copies for the whole country. Then people go out and buy it, and then they try and resell it for a large yeah. sum of money afterwards. This came as an incredible surprise to Paul Weller, who has now said he will not cooperate with Record Store Day in future. And civilization came to an end. The, the, the Samaritans taking on extra people because the rush of upset... People on the phone. Have you guys done oh, that? It, it seems an odd thing, though, doesn't it? Doesn't it, doesn't it? I mean, it, Paul Weller, I'd see him as a record collector. He strikes me as a man who's probably collects old records. Doesn't resell them, though. Don't resell them. No, 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 but no, but it's just a weird thing. You realise that there's, you know, it's, it's um, I, I don't know. It seems a very odd thing. There's lots of things you could get upset about Record Shop, Record Store Day, I think. You know, I, I, I can sort of see the arguments against it. Well, there was an excellent piece on The Quietus last week by sometime Guardian music writer Phil Hebblethwaite about um, how a lot of smaller labels now find Record Store Day to be an incredible problem for them, mm-hmm. uh, especially since the majors have got so much more heavily involved using it as a marketing tool. Uh, pressing plants, especially for vinyl, obviously, uh, pressing plants uh, devote for weeks um, their capacity, because of course there are far fewer pressing plants than there used to be, uh, devote their capacity to pressing up record store special day, special editions for major labels. We result that indie labels who actually do this stuff all year round, mm. vinyl editions and whatnot, 
just can't go, can't really release anything for several weeks in the run up to record store. Though it's completely distorting the market at the end of the smaller labels, and it is doing damage to them. But I'm, there's a wider issue around record store day, though, which I mean that it's just it's turning into basically a self-perpetuating thing that is not about loving music at all. No. It's solely about music as a commodity, which is the very thing it was intended not, not to, be. to be. I think also the, the bottom, I mean, it's slightly different with a, a limited edition 500 copies Paul Weller thing, I'm sure. Uh, there was stuff going up online this year before Record Store Day. Uh, actually, it was going up on Friday night on Discogs, not on, on eBay. I got the impression last year that the bottom had fallen out of the collector's market for Record Store Day. You can still pick up a copy of that uh, the the pre- re- the repressing of C. Emily Play by Pink Floyd on Pink Vinyl for fifteen quid. I mean, it's yeah. you know. But, but, but sorry, the I po- mean it's true. I, well, I, when I was in Derry in February for other voices, I got a little record shop there. I popped in to have a look and was flicking through their vinyl racks, and tons of the stuff they had yep. there had the Record Store Day sticker on. Yeah, you same know, in Resident months and, and months later. That said, I attempted to go to Record Store Day this year. Uh, went down to Resident in Brighton. Thought I'd leave it. You know, the mad rush first thing in the morning. Got there about midday. Queue right down the street to get into the store. I, I didn't go in. The other point I was going to make is I think that the stuff in Record Store Day is vastly overpriced. I think £25, £30 for a vinyl album is just stupid. It's just unnecessary to charge that much. I think that's interesting because I went to um, the, the London Electronic Music Expo a couple of weeks ago and they were, there, was a, there was a panel and they were talking about this kind of whole issue of, of uh, pressing plants and how that affects independence, um, particularly related to dance music. And one of the guys from Hardwax was there and he was saying, actually, I mean, the point they're making was that there was a real resurgence of sort of young uh, DJs and producers that uh, sort of veer towards using vinyl despite sort of playing out in clubs that may not actually support... Um, you know, sort of nice sounding vinyl because they all have CDJs or whatever. And um, what, from what I was gauging from from Twitter and, and stuff like that was that a lot of DJs were going down to Record Store Day as a kind of means of sort of going with lots of different friends to sort of feel validated by that Record Store Day market to kind of go and, you know, pick up these sort of special one-offs or, you know, sort of even if they were overpriced, you know, that becomes a sort of, you know, the, the cool capital of that is, is quite exciting, I think. And if you've just started out, then it's quite a nice way to, I don't know, to feel part of that if you're a newcomer to Record Store Day. Also, and also, if you're not used to buying vinyl, then maybe like £25 or £30 I, 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 isn't... I wonder how many people actually play anything they buy on Record Store I mean, I've got some Record Store Day things that are unplayed because, you know, I think... Ooh. All my friends would get hip hop from there. Always yeah. play it, really? and, and, yeah, because it has cool capital. Because then, it's like I got this, you know, this I don't know, some Mad Lib thing from, you know, from Record Store Day, and I'm playing it out, and you know, there's a whole process. And I mean, if, if it's something that is actually that song is only released for Record Store Day, mm. then yeah. But I mean, when you're buying, oh yeah, I'm going to buy yeah a selection of seven inches by 60s freak beat bands yeah. that I've already got on yeah, yeah. Rubble collections or whatever. Why am I going to, why would I play them? Also, But that said, you know, I've, I've got a Beach Boys single on Sub Pop that I bought 20 years ago and I've still never played. Wow. For fear of... Uh, because you're damaging it in case of increasing the resale value on yeah. eBay. Yeah. Um, Not that I intend to sell it. You know, that's the thing. You just get caught into this, this trap of cockishness. <laughs> um, what is the beef with the Wu-Tang Clan? Well, Raekwon basically, I think that his official quote was that it was mediocre, even though that doesn't really sound like him, I don't know. It doesn't sound like a very Raekwon You know what I mean? I think it was mediocre bullshit. <laughs> there we go. Uh, but yeah, basically, he's um, got beef with Rizzo about the quality of the new release, which isn't the one-off release that they're sort of marketing about, sort of doing, you know, their big album tour and sure. then doing their sort of selling for a, a million or something. Yes. <laughs> it's not that one. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's another release. But they've given them, they've given him, or well, them two, I think. Rizza has said 
to the world at large. We've got 30 days to sort this out. That's right. Um, Although sorting out appears to mean at the end of 30 days, we either decide to release it without Raekwon or we don't release it. Um, Right. Is Raekwon on it? No. No. As far as I know. But apparently there's, you know, sort of release tracks and stuff with him on it. I, I read on the forums this morning, so I don't know. There's He's a very grumpy fellow, Raekwon. He is. <laughs> I when I saw Wu-Tang Live, he was, not, uh, he was not really partaking of the general merriment. He was just sort of sitting on the stage with a bottle of presumably something alcoholic, looking really cross. <laughs> but, um, I mean, none of this should come as much as a surprise, should it? Because Wu-Tang have been a soap opera for such absolutely. a long time. I'm also intrigued by the notion that they've got some sort of deadline, 30 days, because every time I've seen Wu-Tang Live, it looked like they weren't going to come on stage for 30 days. You know, <laughs> <laughs> arrived at the allotted time, you know, hours and hours and hours later. They don't strike me mm. as people that stick to deadline. They're the guns and roses of hip-hop, aren't they? They are, in so many different ways. It's so fascinating, though. Like, Ghostface and Raekwon are just, you know, they're they're sort of endlessly fascinating. And, yeah, they they work. They'd be great on a reality TV series because they're so quotable. Method Man had a TV series, didn't he? Meth and... uh, Red Man. Red Man. Um, (laughs) But how long is it since Wu-Tang Clan or a member of Wu-Tang Clan has made a genuinely great record that justifies the continuing level of fascination with them? What was the Ghostface one that was brilliant? Uh, That was about three years ago. Um, yeah. Not Cuban Links too. No, 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 no. no that's right. That's Raycon. Um, no, no, sorry. I like that. I like that. Fish scale, fish scale, uh, by the fish scale. No, by that was great too. That's a brilliant album. Um, um, not to be a purist, but I think everything they make is pretty great. Oh, sorry. Oh, I went through a period of buying stuff, weird things that come out. And it said Wu Tang on a Killer Bees Volume Two. No one, <laughs> nobody, nobody from that's the Wu Tang. Actually, Wu Tang aren't the guitarists. They're the guided by voices of hip hop. <laughs> <laughs> incredible numbers of releases under different names yep. with people who may or may not be that closely associated of incredibly variable quality. Absolutely. Um, anyway, that is the news. Let's move on to Singles Club. Uh, Michael, let's start with your track first. Is Violent Shiver by Benjamin Booker. Michael, that's brilliant. Uh, tell us about it. Benjamin Booker is a 22-year-old musician from New Orleans. He's signed to Rough Trade and ATO in um, the United States. Home of the Dave Matthews Band. Well, multiple point. I mean, this is the labels that are the home to Alabama Shakes. And um, he proclaims himself to be influenced by the Gun Club, by Blind Willie Johnson, and by T-Rex. Interesting. Intriguingly. And there actually is a hint of T-Rex in this. Um, now, I like rock and roll music. But what I like about this is it actually sounds like it's in touch with the spirit of original rock and roll. It's got got bollocks. It's got bollocks. It's not filtered through anything else. And the other thing that's interesting, watching the clip for this, one thing that intrigued me for a long time is the way that music that was originally black music has not just been co-opted by white people, but attracts an entirely white audience Mm. and largely white people playing it. I mean, you think of vintage solo. Of course, I I realise this isn't a universal rule. Um, what intrigues me about this is that Benjamin Booker is a 22-year-old black man playing rock and roll mm. in the Deep South, which mm. is not something I think we've seen for an awfully long time. I'm trying to think. 
But I think there's, there's something really thrilling about this record. Um, I like the hard edginess of it. But also, there's a cleanness about it. I think it's really easy when you're making that kind of music to think, well, if we just ramp up the distortion and the wildness, then it'll sound crazy. But in fact, what really makes records sound, you know, wild is the quality of the writing and the way you... uh, the attack of the recording. I think he's got that absolutely yes. down pat. I, I think that's it. He's got a great sense of, a uh, boring thing to say, but he's a great grasp of dynamics. Yeah. But the other thing that, that's really fascinating me at the moment as well, I say really fascinating, that's hyperbole. The other thing that quite interests me at the Mildly moment as well <laughs> is Rough Trade. You know, this label that we thought of, well, 30 years ago, I guess, when Rough Trade was in its first time heyday. You know, of course it had did have American acts on it, but it was very much the label of of British music that was opposed to the American rock and roll tradition. Absolutely. And you now look at it, and they throw it, they throw themselves head first into the American rock and roll tradition. Alabama true. Shakes, this guy. I mean, they've had the whole steady. Parquet Courts, who had signed to Rough Trade, who are an American rock and roll band. I mean, yeah, a bit different from this, not traditionalist. But yeah. there's a, maybe there's a kind of, maybe it uh, begins when Rough Trade, sort of the uh, early noughties resurgence, which mm. of course came about as a result of the strokes. Yeah. But the, even then, on Rough Trade, you had these bands like uh, you know, the Fiery Furnaces. Yeah. Or the, I initially thought the Libertines. I mean, how wrong I was. I had the Libertines like, well, they're the kind of subway sect mm. of the, you know, they seem to be that kind of weird, brainy punk thing going on. And you had all those back <clears throat> bands that really tapped into, I felt, the sort of original spirit of Rough Trade. And, and, and it seems to be a bit more bit more ramalama these days, isn't it? Yeah, it's not anything wrong with that. No, and uh, you know, uh, oh, hound ramalama. Well. Uh, you know, ramalama, uh, ramalama, like ding dong. Um, <laughs> ramalama, like what is ramalama? Well, well uh, American rock and roll. I know ramalama. what you meant. Right. Um, and hound as well. The band who sound just like the band. I mean, it's intriguing. Clearly, mm. Jeff Travis and Jeanette Lee really like this stuff. You well, know, he went no the, issue I mean, with he, that. He, I, don't, I don't think anyone who's being commercially cynical thinks, I know, I'm mm. going to sign a load of uh, American acts who sound like they could have come from 1974, because clearly that is not on trend. Which is, of course, 1974, I would have think, is probably the time that Jeff Travis was travelling around America as a student, buying up loads of records, buying, 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 buying records, buying so many records that when he came back to Britain, he had to open a record shop, which was Rough Trade, and that's how Rough Trade started. So there you go. Full circle. Hey. Um, <laughs> okay, that's um, Violent Shiver by Benjamin Brooker. This is his debut single. Uh, it is his debut single. There's going to be an album out in the summer. He's playing some shows in the UK in May. I think he's going to be doing some of the festivals down uh, the Great Escape. In the summer. Uh, I'm not sure if he's at the Great Escape. Actually, he's coming a few days after that. No surprise, he's going to be at the End of the Road Festival at the end of the <laughs> summer. A man who could have have End of the Road tattooed on his forehead. Um, that's great. I really like that. Let's move on. Kieran's track. Tell every between the line like a barcode. Get it? Wicked. wicked, wicked see my wicked, style, wicked. see my smile too. Wicked. wicked oh, wicked. wicked me. Tell her weaky me. When she weaky me, she got a leaky lead. Easy E riding on the big spokes on the six fold. They say I switch clothes. How I switch clothes. That's Licky Lee. No rest for the wicked. That's ASAP Rocky. Uh, <clears throat> making a little guest appearance there. Um, Kieran, tell us about it. It's been a while since we've heard from Licky Lee. Yeah, I I really like her, for those who don't know. She's a Swedish singer-songwriter, and uh, I, I really like her voice. She sort of sounds to me a little bit like sort of Banks meets Shura or Kate Bush. And, um, she's got quite a sort of 
I guess it's quite a mature vocal, um, which I always think is quite funny because her voice is so child has you know her name very childlike is, quality. To yeah, it. and Licky Lee is sort of childlike even to say, isn't it? Um, mm. But I thought it might not be if he's Swedish though. Yeah, well, yeah, But the way be... that ASAP says it on this, especially... Is, yes, that's very true. That's you very know, true. Is, uh, yeah, it's, it's quite sweet. Um, anyway, so uh, she's she's sort of done the rounds because Drake sampled her back in 2009 on Little Bit. And um, she actually this week, uh, this track was really big on Tumblr because of the 420 hashtag, which for those of you who don't know, is sort of, you know, the International Weed Smoking Day. And so... It's like a it's, a, it's an online trend. It's a national weed smoking day. Well, it is. And anyway, it's like a trend what in hip hop circles. Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely nothing. But all night garages do great <laughs> business. <laughs> Sales of fridge. I would have thought you know. that for people who like to celebrate International Weed Smoking Day, every day is weed smoking every day. Every day is International Weed Smoking well, Day. Well, yeah, but anyway, so there's a trend online on Tumblr where you put a sort of, you know, chilled song like this on and mm-hmm. then you hashtag it with 420, and this one was really big. So this is, you know, this is the anthem, smoking, the international market anthem of weed smoking day there you go what a terrible thing to happen to a record Imagine <laughs> um, I thought it was great I really really liked it I'm a, I'm a fan of Licky Lee Michael I, th- I think his rap oh no oh, sorry I was going to no. say I think his raps are, are really good with um, sort of unconventional voices because I think that's Long true Lift, Santo like, Gold yeah he had Santo Gold and I think that that was really good and I think that he it's my favourite track on the ASAP Rocky album mine too hey yeah jinx um, <laughs> you owe me coke um, Michael how did you spend International Weed Smoking Day <sighs> what day was the 20th was it yeah, I can't remember you see you were so <laughs> oh god I was baked <laughs> god oh, you were aware of this day before I came and told you though right what no, <laughs> no, no, I wasn't. I genuinely wasn't aware, aware of nothing. International Week Smoking Day. Where are those downs coming from? You've never so, heard of 420? No. <laughs> Why does it surprise you, Kieran? Oh, well, the, the G2 even did a feature on this the other day. Anyway, go on. Okay, well, Hugh Grant had Andy McDowell at Hello. ASAP Rocky lost me, her pretty motherfucker from the North Pole, which is both geographically inaccurate <laughs> and insulting. I mean, motherfucker. He is a pretty motherfucker. Licky Lee is a woman. Pretty ASAP <laughs> Rocky's not from the North Pole. That must be director Licky Lee, pretty motherfucker from the North Pole. But that—that's you know, that's his like tagline. He always opens saying that about himself. What pretty like, motherfucker from the North Pole? No. He thinks I'm a pretty motherfucker in the North Pole, or a pretty motherfucker closer to the North <laughs> pretty Pole. Pretty motherfucker than I usually am. Anyway, anyway, um, I've been listening to the Licky Lee album a lot actually. Um, it's good, right? Well, it's, uh, well, I'm reviewing it next week, so I don't want to okay. kind of spoil. So, yeah, don't let light in on magic. To say. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very much her 80s power ballads mm-hmm. album. Oh. Yes. <laughs> yeah. No, it's an intriguing thing. And it, it's a huge priority for her label, Atlantic, this year, because she's, she's not lived up to commercial right. expectations over previous years. You know, they thought she was going to be the big breakthrough. The other thing, all, many of those Scandinavian female synth pop acts have in common. Um, yes, I like true. I like Licky Lee. Bizarrely, she was an actor end of the road um, two or three years ago, and I thought it was just a fabulous set because it was so you know, contrary to everything else that was, else that was going on there. You know, brilliantly designed, the music was good, it was just a treat. And I, I like this song, but it's the same complaint I have about um, 
about Lincoln Park last week. I just have no idea what the purpose of the rap is. I go away is. for a week and you come on here and start playing Linkin Park records. <laughs> Christ on a boat. That I was Kieran, I not me. Back. What? Kieran? You what? thought it was me, didn't you? It was, I thought it was Kieran. The only time Kieran brings a rock record in in like seven years. It's because I had Rakim on it. Oh, right, okay. Anyway. I had exactly the same thing. Why is the, the rap on here? I don't think it added a single thing to the song. I, felt, oh, I, I, th- I think it destroys some of the de- delicacy and some of the mood of the song. And I think it's I think it's just a cravenly commercial bid to try and get some crossover stuff. There's nothing wrong with that. But, you know, I don't think it has any artistic merit. I don't, I did, oh, the whole record. You this, mean yeah, the rap? Yeah, I, did the, I, I don't think having the rap. I don't think the rap ruins the song completely. I just can't see any point in it being How was the rap on the Linkin Park record? I should listen. I haven't it's had a chance to listen back, is it? Yeah, yeah it's good to know. Um, you have to, no, you have to wait, wait through five minutes of Linkin Park before you get Rakeem for the last two minutes, though. <laughs> it's oh. great, but you know, yeah, hip-hop guys on new metal records are always good, I think. Well, that's Licky Lee anyway. Uh, no Rest for the Wicked featuring ASAP Rocket. That's my forthcoming album. Um, out on May the 5th. Out on May the 5th. Wonderful. Uh, finally, uh, my track. If you fall and fly, seems all tight. But I am someone's creature more propulsive than that. I insist you know, you're no high. Articulating, working into any kind. Reason I'm a mob, to break my heart. Surprise, confused, not plus, not Tilt by Babe. Um, I missed this. This came out last month. This came out in uh, March. Uh, Babe are a band from Scotland, and I completely overlooked their album. Some of them used to be in a band called Findo Gasque. There was a bit of a yeah, buzz. Yeah, Findo Gasque had an EP that I really, really liked. I think it was their second EP. Um, yeah. Uh, I completely missed them, and somebody directed me, uh, put them in the direction of they did a BBC introducing uh, session. Um, which is uh, on YouTube, it's sort of like videoed, uh, where they do a cover of, of all things Sunshine by Dario G. Uh, <laughs> you may recall it's a, a, a sort of banging, uh, a banging kind of commercial house track uh, that samples Life in a Northern Town by the Dream Academy. It's actually rather good. And anyway, I was sort of intrigued by it. I really like this. I think it has something of the kind of spirit of that kind of early 80s post-punk shading into new pop thing without it's not one of those records that's slavishly trying to sound like it's come out on rough trade in in uh, in 1981 or 1982 um the guy's got a really intriguing voice i something about the backing that i find you know that, that sort of punk funk thing is obviously incredibly played out you know i mean it was a punk funk revival a decade ago and there's still sort of some bands knocking about doing that kind of thing um this seems to me to be a slightly more intriguing sort of um slightly serpentine uh, take on that slightly left you know i don't know i just think it's a good song good backing good voice this is a, a kind of dreamlike quality to it when a lot of the music that has looked back to the early 80s tends to concentrate very much on the the sharpness the mm-hmm. sharp edges of it all and this feels much warmer and softer, but without turning it into just saturating music. Yep. You know, it does have serpentine is a good word. I mean, it, it does. It's a good word. It's in a great, isn't it a great word. Yeah. It has twists and turns and a kind of litheness and sinuousness to it that is very appealing. I don't like it quite as much as you, but I think the interesting thing is I put on the album when I got sent it a few weeks ago, and I think. The volume of you know hearing forty yes, that's minutes. that's exactly of it what happened with me as well. That yeah. it just kind of passed me by. But hearing one track in isolation, 
It kind of makes it, it makes it feel a lot stronger, mm. actually. But it's it's made me think. Um, I must go back and dig no, out I, that exa- up again. I, exactly what happened to me. I didn't even know that. I, I mean, somebody. It was a friend of mine uh, from Scotland, in fact, who who sent it to me. And I thought, God, that's really good. And I went to. I thought, great, good for singles club. Went to look it up. Came out. Last, album came out last month mm. uh, on Moshi Moshi. Kieran. Um, yeah, I was just going to say that generally, in in terms of eighty songs, I I much prefer the hard edges that Michael was just talking about than mm. the softness um, that's on here. And I do like those eighty sounding synth injections that you can hear on this. There's sort of little bleeps and you know that that real bass line, which is quite strong, which is really nice. But it's just their voices. I couldn't really get to grips with it. They just found it. They just sounded a bit wet, you know, weedy? a bit yeah, weedy, weedy boys. It felt like. The sort of you know that middle ground where it's not super passionate maybe and it's not super melancholic either. It's just a bit like. Mm, oh, weedy boys got to have music too. Yeah, yeah, I understand that, but it's not for me. That's all right. That's all good. That's all good. <laughs> well, the, the, it's, it's an interesting issue though because um, back in the days when basically all I listened to was music sung by weedy, weedy boys, boys. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes weedy girls. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You'd sometimes get a group that were had someone who was really proficient fronting mm. the group or who could actually sing. And it just always sounded completely wrong. Yes. I, d- I don't mean yeah. that on some kind of principle. No, we only want weeds. Mm. I just meant there's a certain kind of music that once you put someone with a great voice on top of, it just ceases to work. Um, it's not that the music demands a lack of proficiency. It's just that when emotions are kind of that understated, the minute you put emoting on top, it destroys the magic it has. Interesting. Yeah. But I, I appreciate your point I, that, yeah, for some people, just the very tone of, of weedy boys like that is a turn, is a turn off. off. Yeah. Hmm. Jinx. It's a good job that we're both kind of, you know, six yeah, yeah, and five and work uh, out all the yeah, time. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I'm so glad I discovered weightlifting. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, right, okay, Tilt by Baby. Uh, that's, there's a, it's on SoundCloud if you want to have a listen to it again. And the album came out uh, last month on Moshi Moshi. Check them out. That Singles Club. Our resident audio masochist, Luke Turner, has filed another report which promises to bring us up to date on the latest highlights in the world of noise. Stand by. Bosh's wing cut, swan out fly! He never dosed the sweet Scottish kid! But look! That's a nice start turn! Now all swanning out! Catholic! First time down in London, this is trailer just about holding on! Last Saturday evening in London was glorious, with perfect spring sunshine under which to give the lawn a quick mow, or perhaps take the kids to see the ducks in the local park. An appreciation of the noisier end of things requires a certain masochism, however, a seeking of pleasure in out-of-the-ordinary places, which is why I headed to the dark, loud basement of London's birthdays venue in search of a goodie bag of treats for you, our willing Guardian Music podcast listener. Second on the bill were Consumer Electronics, a 30-year-old project from former White House member Philip Best and, more recently, his partner Sarah Froelich. Their new album, Estuary English, has been produced by Russell Haswell, featured on the last month in Noise, and Haswell contributed some mechanical nastiness to the Consumer Electronics live group on Saturday night. Behind the sound desk was Graham Sutton, whom some of you might know from his work as Bark Psychosis in the 90s, and who more of you will be aware produced these new Puritans' Field of Reeds and Hidden albums. This was clearly going to be no shy and retiring matter. Previous consumer electronics concerts I've seen had potent sexual energy. You were never quite sure whether Philip and Sarah might start getting down at any moment as the former licked his nipple and screamed profanities. With his tinted glasses, stubble and button-up shirt, Philip Best looks like a union official caught with his hand in the secretary. But tonight, 
This set had a lot more power and focus, with great ripping Geiger counter beats that threatened to break into grubby techno at any moment. What's superb about consumer electronics is the lyrical poetry even when all the swearing is stripped out. And can't talk, cocky mouth situation is one of the lyrics of the year so far. This track from Estuary English is Affirmation. Also on the bill at birthdays were Necro Deathmort, who come at you with a guttural blast somewhere in the unholy middle ground between doom metal group Sun and Finland's Pansonic. They had excellent record titles like Martian Cartography and This Beat is Necrotonic. As previously discussed on The Month in Noise, making electronic discord lends itself well to mingling with other genres, and that's something the next two tracks ably prove, as they bleed in some gruff and bludgeoning textures from the world of metal. Necro Deathmort will shortly be playing at London's celebration of all things extreme, Desert Fest, on Friday, April 25th. This track is called Shadows of Reflections of Ghosts Past. Body are a duo from Providence, Rhode Island, who take life and death very seriously indeed. The artwork for their debut album, And All the Waters of the Earth Shall Turn to Blood, featured altars piled high with guns being blessed, and their press shots have the pair posing with heavy weaponry. Was this mere daft posturing, I asked when I interviewed them a few years ago? No, the body replied. They were merely arming themselves to prepare for the coming apocalypse, when the self-service checkout of your local Morrisons will not be the only thing in your life issuing bleak commands. They said, Not to sound hyper-alarmist, we have bought guns to shoot people, in case the need to shoot people becomes a necessity, as in an end-of-the-world type scenario. Prepare for the worst. The Body have a brilliant album of their own called Christ Redeemers, out now on Thrill Jockey, and are touring the UK also playing Desert Fest, but this track is taken from a collaborative record with electronic noise master the Hacks and Cloak, which is called I Shall Die Here, and is titled Hail to Thee Everlasting Pain. Happy days, happy days.
Some light relief comes in the form of Clara Lewis, an Anglo-Swedish artist whose debut album Et, released via the consistently great editions Migo label, has been getting great reviews all over the shop. I first saw Lewis play live at Café Otto last year, and it was a strange, compelling performance. She spent it sat down, hiding underneath a personalised bunker come photographer's hooded cape. Her debut album works so well because its collage of sound is never brusque or overly aggressive, and has a hugely warm presence, perhaps because her use of field recordings lets so much of the world in. This track is called Untitled. Finally, I look back to a wonderful event that took place on the River Tyne as part of the North East's AV Festival last month. In their 30-year history, Test Department have used the relics of the industrial age to make music that's overtly and directly political. In 1984, they released a single with a Welsh miners' choir to raise funds for strikers, and revisited some of this material for an astonishing artwork on the River Tyne. Test Department used the huge Dunstan staves, once used for loading coal onto ships, as the basis for an installation of sound, light and film commemorating the North East's coal industry and those who participated in the miners' strike. We watched and listened from a boat circling in the dark a short distance off from the staves, and when the rattling finally ceased, there was complete silence on deck, and many, including myself, were moved to tears. It was a wonderful reminder that music from the avant-garde doesn't have to be unemotional and can carry great political weight along with its provocation. That was Luke Turner with another month in noise. And that's it for this week. Our thanks to Michael. Uh, tell us what you think at theguardian.com forward slash music weekly, where you'll also find links to the singles club tracks. See you next week. Bye. Bye. Support for this Guardian podcast comes from Squarespace, providing creative tools that help you bring your ideas to life. Squarespace offers free domain names, customizable designs, drag and drop tools, and 24-7 support. Squarespace also offers seamless e-commerce solutions for you or your small business. Every design automatically includes a unique mobile experience that matches the overall style of your website, so your content will look brilliant on any device. Start your free trial today. No credit card required. As a Guardian podcast listener, you'll get 10% off your new account by using the offer code GUARDIAN.